What was the very best meal you've ever had? Can you think of one? Can you imagine it right now? Imagine where you were, what it was that you ate, who you were with. I've eaten so many wonderful things in my life, but the best meal is when I went with my husband and my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law to Bliss in Southtown. Has anyone ever been to Bliss in Southtown? Put it on your list. Every drink, every dish, from appetizer to salad to main course and dessert was sublime. And sometimes we just sort of talk about the meal. Remember that? Remember that dish? Remember how we ate this or that or the other thing? It's just amazing. The truth is, what makes a perfect meal is not just what's on the menu. I have had some really delicious sandwiches because they were eating, eaten after hiking 10 miles and they were atop a mountain ridge. The experience, the place, the time, the people, the ambiance, the exact amount of hunger you are. Even if you wanted to recreate those perfect meals, you couldn't. Might be really, really good, and maybe even better, but not exactly the same. When we look at our scriptures today, like our Old Testament and Gospel, we often think about God's provision in extreme circumstances, right? We think of the God of the impossible meal, the manna in the wilderness, the food and drink that are free for anyone to come and experience the feeding of the 5,000 plus with just a few loaves and fish. We look at these as isolated incidences that provide a particular glimpse into God's power. And that is true. But what if we remembered all the time that the God of the impossible meal was feeding us? What if the half a bagel that you had for breakfast was just as much of a miracle as the feeding of the 5,000? What if the snacks from Bucky's on your last road trip with the laughter in the car that accompanied it with those you love most was acknowledged as a provision from God? It is. God is with us. God provides for us. Jesus, when he taught us to pray, how did he start the prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. Where else do you think that half a bagel came from? In our hubris, we like to believe that we have made that money to go to HEB, and we put it in the toaster, and we got it out, and therefore it is no longer a miracle. Y'all, all of this finite life is miracle if we have eyes to see. If we truly lived as people of faith, the kind of people of faith that could proclaim these amazing, incredible things for our little ones among us in baptism, we could look at all life and all sustenance and all connection as gifts from God. We do not have control over everything that happens to us as humans. <laughs> we can make wise decisions. We can take our vitamins. We can do our workouts. We can do the things that, that are, are told to us to do to have longevity and health. We can do our meditation practice and our prayer. We can show up at church. But in the end, we are mortal. We are subject to circumstances beyond our control. We are captive to earth, 
with its limitations and gravity and climate change. And with that lack of control, isn't it a miracle that we're held each day, that we even wake up, that we have the gift of communities, of families and neighborhoods and churches? Isn't it amazing that we as finite beings are able to see and experience what is beautiful and feel joy? It isn't, isn't it incredible that we have to eat and drink to live, and we're able to find that abundance all around us in the created world and at HEB? Isn't it a wonder that we have to work to survive, and yet we have the bandwidth somehow to find greater meaning in our lives and relationships? Serving others. If you haven't read this month's newsletter spotlight on Elena Clark, read it. Engaging in healing, acting with empathy and selflessness. How could us, who need a half a bagel in the morning to make it through the day, be the same kind of people who are also called to so much more meaning? We always need God's love and grace. But there are some days that that need feels more poignant than others. And it is for those days that we remember our promise in baptism. There's gonna be all kinds of wonderful days for Emerson, all kinds of joys, all kinds of victories. But we give him this promise today that comes from God, not for those good days when everything's going well, but so that on those dark nights of the soul, on those times when he is devastated with grief and sadness, he knows that nothing can separate him from God. All three of our scriptures this morning speak to provision in the midst of hardship. These are not meals being held at Bliss in Southtown. These are meals like in the Isaiah passage that were after the destruction of the temple, the end of the Davidic dynasty, and the diaspora, folk returning to a place that they'd been hearing about for generations but they couldn't recognize, a place that they didn't feel like they belonged, even though they had been told that their very identity was belonging to that place. The markers of power that they'd had as a people, the markers that they believed showed God's faithfulness, kings, religious power, generations of occupancy, they were all thrown out. They were stripped away from those metrics that they had claimed showed God's love for them. So they were forced to see God's love in other ways. They were invited to imagine a new future with a reaffirmation of God's power and a reinterpretation of what God's power means. It did not mean that kind of dominance that they thought it had. It meant that God's grace and love would be with them for every circumstance. There are meals like we see in our epistle this morning. The bitter taste in Paul's mouth as he remembers how he acted in ways that destroyed community. His conviction was kind of like a meal eating crow. Life can be a real mess. Human relationships are hard. Trying to be in community with each other, as families, as friends, as neighbors, as faith communities, it's really difficult. But God's power is sufficient for all of our circumstances. The 
gospel shows us that when we step out in faith, we will be fed. There are a lot of folk on that day a couple thousand years ago that weren't great at their planning. A lot of people who had relied on their moms to bring granola bars in her purse. But they pursued the journey just the same. And this was a scary journey. Remember in that first sentence that I read, said in like parentheses, right after the beheading of John the Baptist? All these folk who came out that day journeyed and were doing so on the heels of the most prolific of Jesus' followers' execution. They went anyway. And they got what they needed. Healing. Hope. Sustenance. The God of the impossible meal invites us to remember the abundance all around us, all the time. We humans have no problem coming up with what's wrong. We're really good at complaining. Go look at your Yelp reviews for something. People are excellent at it. Find a way to complain about just about anything. And it's not totally wrong to acknowledge the evil in the world and what's wrong around us. Things can get pretty messed up. But in the midst of it all, the God of the impossible meal is calling us again to the table. On all of those days, on the good days, on the boring days, on the good days, on the tragic ones, calling us to a sustenance that we do not deserve, to an abundance we could never afford, to a grace that surpasses our goodness, to a love that defies the grave. So keep stepping out on faith, beloved. If you need a reminder of God's faithfulness, look no further than that half a bagel. The sunset that takes your breath away, the adorable little face of Emerson, the love that sustains you. Because everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that you may live. Amen.